Welcome to another episode of North of the Shire. I'm your host, Don, and this is episode 26. And I'm here, as usual, with my always tardy co-host, Andrew Brock. Well, hello, hello. Always tardy means always on time (laughs) and some time zone. Oh, my God. (laughs) This guy would be late for his own funeral. Uh, I hope I am. That means I'll be alive. (laughs) I'm good with that. (laughs) Anyway, we are here for a special episode, totally different format for for this one. I know. Um, Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna compile all of our oathbound story segments into one long, uninterrupted chapter. I guess, mm-hmm. of the story. That's right. And we this will be the telling moment to see whether or not our views on this episode are just atrocious. Then yeah. we'll really know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, also, it is our one-year anniversary. It is, yeah, that's right. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary to us. Well, it's a little previous to this but this is the, the closest we could get to recording so yeah but still yeah. It's this is the special anniversary. one year anniversary episode which is happening right. approximately one month after our anniversary that is correct yeah um yeah so we're going to talk briefly about that but those are the two things that we're going to do in in this episode um so let's get started let's talk first about our anniversary and we'll save the the story for for the end are we doing a catch-up uh, or are we just diving right into the anniversary no no catch-up oh wow no catch-up no we don't have time this for, week we got no segments no catch-up no uh all that is gold none of that regular we're flying stuff. by the seat of our pants here people we are yeah. honestly Plus, because we got a lot of pre-recorded stuff to shove into this episode. That's true, that's, that's true. And let's be honest, you sent me notes for this episode and I totally ignored them, so I have no idea what's going to happen <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Okay, well, let's just talk about um, the podcast. And like, let me ask you this. Why did we start the podcast? Because we're into over a year now. Oh, wow. Um, well, I think some reasons might have been slightly different between you and me. Um, I am... You know, I'm, I think I'm big into storytelling of, of some kind, and I was always a fan of being able to tell stories to people, and I thought, you know, this is a perfect opportunity for us to do it. We can do it in a, an audio setting, uh, yeah. and we also, I'd like to think we have a little bit of knowledge on the game, both from a hobby perspective as well as a gaming perspective, and why not pitch that to the wider audience? And I'd also like to think we have a certain niche or a certain style by which we deliver that information that's unique and different from all the other podcasts out there. And I think we had a great idea and a great implementation and a great purpose for why. That's my reasons. Yeah, and we had been listening to podcasts um both for this game and and other podcasts for a very long time like the green dragon it's been around for a really long time and we've we've both listened to that Mm -hmm. for years and years um you know and some of the other podcasts that have come along for for mesbg as well and so we've talked like many times over the years you know we should do a podcast or we should do a youtube channel or whatever Mm -hmm. and like i i was doing the youtube channel on the osbgl youtube channel um 
Um, and that, and that kind of came to an end, I, I would say, not that I'll never do another video on there again, but mm-hmm. um, sort of as a regular thing, sort of that came to an end. Yeah. And then certainly when, when COVID hit and all, all the gaming stopped, um, it just sort of seemed like a natural time to do it. And we had yeah. just probably had our most um, enthusiastic conversation about doing a podcast mm-hmm. um, just shortly before COVID started um, on on the way home from a tournament when yeah, the four that. of us were in, in the car. So Yeah, that was a very you know. enthusiastic conversation. We had all these crazy ideas lined up. And then we then realized once we started looking at the technical capabilities of the softwares out there and what we had, yeah. a lot of those ideas we had to back burner. We'll eventually <laughs> come around to them, but uh, for the time being, they were back burnered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was certainly, uh, uh, as always for me, the, the technology part of things is, is always a major obstacle for me. Yeah. Um, but we'll get into that a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about... Um, should we give some stats? Oh, you're, you're, you're barking up my alley here. I'm liking this. Let's do some stats. Like we, we you know, we track our, our downloads. Oh, yeah. um, I think because for us, it's the easiest thing to track because the information is all in one place. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a definitive stat. Like when someone downloads the episode, there's no question, um, you know, it counts as a, as you know a, a listen or whatever, uh, but whatever there's the also listens. Yeah, you know there's also listens, but listens are a little bit harder to cobble together because you got to go to a few different places. As far as I understand, I've never done it. You've always been the one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a listen could be like they're if someone's plays. they're called plays. Yeah, plays. Yeah, yeah it's like plays. if someone plays the same episode four times because it takes them four times to finish it, mm-hmm. that that's four plays. That's true. Right? So, whereas a download is a download. They downloaded the episode. Mm-hmm. It's there it is. That's right. Um, so, so why don't you give our, our stats? How are we doing in, in our, our numbers there? You're well, the accountant. Well, I'm the, well, I'm the accountant. That's correct. I mean, uh, for plays, we're looking at approximately 14,000, which shocked me. 14,000 plays um, from individuals who want to listen to our podcast for, you know, however indeterminate amount of time there is, um, which I think is pretty good. It seems crazy to me, honestly. Like, yeah. I don't know. I had no expectation when we started doing this. Like, if you had asked me how many people would listen to it, I, I would quite seriously have said, you know, maybe a few hundred. Yeah. <laughs> you right. know, like 14,000 is just to me is, you know, it's it's a small number compared to a lot of the big podcasts out there. But to me, it's just like far more than I would have ever expected. Yeah. Now, that's not unique, Right. So the same, like 200 people could have listened to it 10,000 times. Like we don't know, yeah. but still that's a, it's a, it's a pretty decent metric since that's a metric that's used in the podcasting world. Um, the other one, which was really exciting is the downloads and we broke, we just got over uh, 5,000 downloads. We for, did. For a year, yeah. Which is, which that is was huge. Um, just in time for this episode, actually, I just right. posted on Podbean, they, they give you a badge for certain milestones and one of them is 5,000. So it was kind of fortuitous that we 
we actually just passed that in time for for this and i posted it on our facebook page as well yeah and when you're looking at you know 5000 downloads that's over 25 episodes cuz this is episode 26 so on average you had about 200 downloads uh, an episode which i'm like wow that's really cool. That means we at least have 200 yeah. people who listen to us. That's crazy fairly- considering, I, like, I don't know how long it took us to get over 100 li- or 100 downloads on our first, you know, the first episode to mm-hmm. get 100 downloads. Like, it took forever. Right? Well, and yeah, then, I mean, uh, that was our first metric was we got to hit 100 downloads and yeah. then we're good. And then, like, I don't know, it was like four months or something to hit 100, uh, something, if not more. And then we're like, okay, our next metric is going to be like 100 in a month. And then it was 100 in a week. And then it's like, okay, let's do like, I don't know, 150 in a week. And it's just like the metrics just keep going up and up because yeah. we just, we are continually surprised by how our podcast has been accepted by the community which we both appreciate yeah but it's been it's really been good because you know being able to track these um these two stats um it really lets you see um growth or Mm -hmm. episode you could put out an episode that wasn't popular and you can see a drop in in downloads or or whatever Mm -hmm. so it, it really does help uh from a tracking perspective uh, and it is it is somewhat um gratifying to see sort of a a steady increase in in numbers which is is great now now my question to you is where are we seeing those downloads done those downloads and those plays well um obviously we're an english speaking podcast so our uh our listeners are in english-speaking countries primarily so um of course uh our two biggest are in the u.s and the uk Mm -hmm. um they seem to flip-flop a little bit as to which one is is higher um i think canada is is third it is yep which is our our home country Mm -hmm. and australia is pretty uh regularly in in fourth Mm -hmm. and after that it is it is all over the place you know they're yeah it's all over different countries in the world that i would have never expected anybody to be listening to uh, a podcast about mesbg yeah we have downloads from all over europe you know, so it is, mm-hmm. and you know, all these European countries, their primary, their, 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 you know, their national language is not English. Um, English is always considered to be the business language of the world, but we have a sizable amount of downloads from all over Europe, um, and then sort of sporadic downloads all over other parts of the world, which is always um, a surprise and a delight to see that other people listen to our podcasts from yep. as far as India, you know, <laughs> India, yeah, Japan, mm-hmm. you know, Brazil, like, yeah. all over the place. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I gotta say in recent, uh, you know, in terms of West coast versus East coast hobbiters, I would say, uh, in terms of total downloads, I think the, the big two states in the U.S. Um, are Washington and California, right out there on the West Coast. Oh, are they? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, there, yeah. Are, there are big downloaders. 
uh, from looking at Podbean. Uh, but that doesn't mean the East Coast doesn't listen to us. There's a lot of East Coast downloads. Uh, so we do appreciate the fact that we are listened to coast to coast in all parts of North America. Yeah, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, speaking of that, um, like when we started our podcast up last year, um, right in the middle of, of COVID lockdown, like first COVID lockdown, I think, mm-hmm. um, it was kind of at a time when like a whole bunch of podcasts and and YouTube channels, I think, started up for for this game. I think so, yeah. Um, yeah, and in nor like in North America, let's just stick to North America. Like in and I like I forgive me if I'm missing one, but like in North America, um, we had the Duran Show, mm-hmm. uh, which is on the West Coast in the U.S. Um, they started up before us, but around the same time, and and then also in Canada here on the West Coast was Into the West, and those are just audio podcasts. Yeah. Right. Now, there, um, there is the Unexpected Podcast. That's Devin from uh, Nova, from DCHL. Yeah. He came up, he has his podcast that came out that focuses primarily on competitive play. Um, and, uh, you know, all three of those podcasts that you mentioned, well, the two that you mentioned, the one I mentioned, um, they all bring their sort of niche to the table, which is, it's it's something I really enjoy when you, when you come across um, MESBG podcasts. They're always unique in a sense that they always they do talk about the game but they're always talking about it for different facets uh, of the game or from their own different experience levels like the Duran show they talk a lot about rules but then they've got people there who talk about hobby stuff I mean you've got the Into the West guys uh, they talk they have always have like a specific segment and they do a lot of army list discussions but then they also have their open topic and their group as again you've got some some hard hard and fast um, um, competitive players, but you also have a lot of hobby players. And so, uh, and, and the Unexpected Podcast, you have some really top-notch competitive players there um, chatting about um, all things Middle-earth from a competitive mm-hmm. perspective. Um, and But when you listen to all of them, you, you, you sense the, the quality and experience from all facets of the game coming out. And it's very much something that I think is, is, is you know, one, one thing I think that's very standard uh, across all podcasts, both audio and YouTube, is the quality and the passion, or so the passion that people put into it, which, which translates into quality. Yeah, I think the game is, is alive and well in North America, that's for sure. And that's true. Should we do a couple of thank yous? I, I like to thank a couple of people. Absolutely, go for it. Um, first person I'd like to thank is Stuart Mack from mm-hmm. Out of the Frying Pan podcast. Is when we started, and I mentioned earlier, for me the like the technology thing is just brutal because like I'm an older fella, so um, you know when when we're when I say it was the same when I was trying to do video, mm-hmm. right? You know I had to learn it, and it's just painful, right? Um, but I figured it out, you know, thank God for YouTube, but like this time around to launching into a new thing, um, doing like an audio thing. Um, and I love out of the frying pan. It is become my top podcast for, for this that I Mm -hmm. listen to. Um, always waiting for that one. I listen to a lot of them, but that's, that's probably my favorite. Um, so when this happened, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to message Stuart. Um, seems like a really nice guy. Don't know him from Adam, but mm-hmm. I thought I'll just message him on on 
Facebook and and uh, and ask him a couple of questions and you know what, what's the worst thing that can happen and wow what a super friendly guy um, I was shocked he he knew who I was because he'd seen some of my video on um, the OSB Jail YouTube channel mm-hmm. um, so that blew my mind um, and just super helpful and putting up with a lot of like inane questions from a total audio noob um so big thank you to to Stu for for um putting up with me early on (laughs) and you know it was it was really really appreciated and very helpful as well and I still like he he actually is on YouTube he he does a channel um his own channel like they have the out of the frying pan um youtube channel and podcast Mm -hmm. but he also does one called miniature realms which he does to you know it's essentially to promote his uh, commission painting business but it's a really good wargaming podcast also for Mm -hmm. hobby as well okay okay you know i I listen to a lot of the out of the frying pan stuff i I thoroughly enjoy it um it's it's top-notch stuff yeah for sure absolutely um secondly i would like to thank damien o'burn um everybody knows who damien o'burn is uh battle streams in middle earth um like when we started you know we're friends with damien and chat with him now and again um and they have a huge audience for their uh youtube stream battle streams in middle middle earth and when when we first started out like he really plugged us like quite a few times um on the podcast and no doubt that that did a lot for our numbers early on so big big thank you to damien for that well you you, i think you're downplaying damien a bit i mean yes battle streams in middle earth but he was also you know gbhl um like the the youtube um station the channel uh, and he was probably one of the, in, I would probably say one of the core, and I could be saying this very wrongly, uh, the core, you know, 40 or 50 people that was in the UK that kept the Lord of the Rings alive and, and sort of gave um, Games Workshop that um, desire or, or like interest to, to sort of, um, you know, redo it and, and, and pour funding and resources into it. Um, yeah, absolutely. So he was without a doubt like uh, an integral part to that. I would think. He always gets back to us, telling us that uh, we're doing good stuff, and I try to do my best to, to dive into the battle streams in Middle Earth chat every now and then to to throw out a quick message to to say how, to ask him how he's doing, and you know, I, all props to him for all the support he's given to us over the years, and he is uh, a definite friend to the podcast and a friend to us. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I guess lastly, I would just like to say thank you to um, any of our listeners that have have messaged us or emailed us or commented on any of our uh, shares across Facebook. Like we always ask people to send us questions and Mm -hmm. people always send us questions. Sometimes it's pretty lean because getting people to send you emails or messages can be tough mm-hmm. it can be tough but we have had a steady supply and like we have a few you know regular p- 
people that contribute regularly, like Mike Shock and Michael Campbell, um, you know, early on Father Justin, all Canadian guys. It's just mm-hmm. just amazing. But people from all over Finland, Belgium, Australia, like England, everywhere have mm-hmm. have sent us U.S. tons from U.S. Um, so thank you for for all that. Um, we really love to get messages from people um, asking questions or suggestions or or whatever. It's just it's really great. Like you'll go for quite a while without without receiving anything and and then you get a few and it's you know it's not a lot but it it means a lot yeah um i i would we're still like i guess to me i'm still shocked that people send us emails and send you know post or make comments on our um our north of the shire podcast um posts um, and Don and I, you know, we still talk about um, each comment that someone makes or each email we get with excitement and jubilation because it's like, uh, and I say still, but like it's always exciting for us to receive a comment or always mm-hmm. exciting for us to receive an email because it's like our listeners are reaching out to us and saying, you're doing a great job, keep it up, and we love what you're doing, I've got a question. And like just to hear how people use our podcast. I remember there was a gentleman from the U.S. Um, his name escapes me for the minute. He makes a long drive um, like every week and he's always got one of our podcasts on and I'm just like, that just floors me, you know? And um, so yeah, a big shout out to all of our listeners as well as all of our listeners who um, you know, send us messages, post comments, that kind of thing because your uh, excitement and jubilation for our podcast, um, it means a lot to us. Um, yeah. Absolutely. What about the future? Mm. Let's talk about the future just before we. Okay. We end well, I want to have you. Should I? St- you start because I always start when it comes to all these tactics podcasts. So, uh, <laughs> so you 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 go first. This is this is our what are we talking about? Uh, Dawn edition. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, like a few people have asked me, are we going to do YouTube? And I wouldn't say definitely no, but no, no real plans for that. Honestly, um, doing, doing the podcast audio is, is enough. Um, I don't think we're going to, we're going to go down the YouTube rabbit hole, but who knows, maybe one day. Um, I think in terms of frequency, we're going to, we try to do every two weeks, but we, we've been failing for the last few months anyways, uh, on maintaining the two week thing. So it looks like, you know, we try for two weeks, but it's more likely every three. Um, you know, in, in terms of the content, um, We'll see about the uh, narrative oathbound type thing if that's going to continue. Um, we'll definitely do that again um, after this. It's it's um, maybe not all the time, just mm-hmm. because I, I have found that to be um, because you have to come up with creative content, and sometimes it just doesn't happen, right? And yeah. You have to sort of force <laughs> force it out, and I don't want to get into doing that. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't want to have to commit to doing that every episode. I would I would definitely say that you know our schedules are, are in real life are are busy. Um, I, I can definitely say emphatically my schedule with real life is insanely busy. Um, 
and you know I'm I'm you know the the primary content provider for the let's talk about area. That's not to say that Don and I don't collab, um, but I, I sort of get the ball going and then Don dives yeah. in and adds his points and then we have a nice, really good uh, conversation in the episodes. Um, but to do that as well as write the short stories, I will firmly ad- admit that when I have to push a, um, an episode recording a week, it's because I haven't written my part of the short story yet. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> so it is, it's definitely something that slows down the publication of, of new episodes for sure. Yeah, but um, I, I, I will say this. It is absolutely something we love doing, though. Yeah, like I, I definitely want to keep doing it. Yeah. I love doing that kind of thing. And um, for me, you know, I'm not the competitive guy. I like, I like talking about the hobby side of stuff. I like talking about going to tournaments. I like talking about playing the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like talking about army lists that I make up or, you know, different units that I make up or like mm-hmm. off the wall stuff. Like I love that kind of stuff. Um, so I would like to do some more of that, um, which we haven't really done much of that at all, but well, uh, there's lots to talk about. Like, I mean, we just started our newest series, which is um, all about scenarios and deep diving scenarios. Well, you know mm-hmm. what? There's 18 scenarios. Let's just say that. Yeah. On top of that, there's so many great questions that we can talk about. Um, yeah. You know, like I'm not going to pitch them now because these are all ideas that we're going to use. Um, yeah. But there's so many great questions to ask, you know, that relate to the game and how to play the game and how to optimize and have a lot of fun with it. I'm always the competitive person. Um, And then, of course, supplements are going to come out and we're always going to have the occasional conversation about those. And I mean, I think we we had a who knows if this will if this will remain the same, but I definitely think uh, we had an initial discussion on this ages ago it's like do we want to do like that deep dive that uh, through a supplement like everyone else does and i think the answer to that is probably no i mean we'll, we'll have our take our hot take on that supplement mm-hmm. but uh, almost the, the, the one issue about the deep dive on a supplement is invariably it's fairly robotic everyone is hitting all the same cues all the same points um yeah. and so that's kind of not what we don't want to do um but we'll definitely have our hot take on that kind of stuff. But there's plenty of content um, that's brewing in my head for episodes. And that, not, that mm-hmm. doesn't even talk about the, the off-the-wall stuff that Don wants to talk about. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and I'm sure... Well, if you could only see our Google document on oh episode God. ideas. <laughs> it's like out of control. Yeah, there's so many listed there. <laughs> Been a while since I looked at it, to be honest. Uh, it's pretty big, though. All right. All right, let's move on and just talk briefly about Oathbound, and then we'll get right into the story. All righty, let's do this. All right, Oathbound. Um, so let's just talk briefly about what it is and why we decided to do it, and then we'll be brief and jump right into the story. So we'll play all the pre-recorded parts. Um, I have a little sound bite of some like thunder and lightning that I've placed in between each one, and I've cut out all of the extraneous chattering of us, like you know after we finish reading. So it's just the story, and then at the end of that, all of that, we will have the all new 
final Ooh. segment of Oathbound, which hopefully I don't screw up too bad when I read it. Um, you better. But not. what do you think? Why, why? Why? I came up with the idea, but like, why is this a good idea for us? Um, well, from a non MESBG perspective, we both love writing short stories. We both love writing yeah. stories because we're again, we both done the 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 game master thing for Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, um, we both really enjoy telling uh, intricate and beautiful stories. Um, and so when you pitched this idea to me, I was immediately like, "Yes, I'm on board." Yeah. Like no questions asked. And then two, um, we know we're talking about all things Middle Earth SBG. Um, so why not? talk about a short story in that setting yeah and it's something different you know like it's not just talking about a rule or a whatever that you know it's it's original mm-hmm. it's it's still game related it's lord of the rings related yeah um for me also because i knew you would jump on the idea once i suggested it i thought this will be a way that I can drag Andrew away from all of that competitive crap and get him to talk about something fun. Oh my God. (laughs) See, this is what happens. I get suckered into this. But of course, what was my character? Not some flimsy walk around. No, a hardened killer. That's right. A hardened killer. Well, we don't know about that. Who knows? You know? Who knows what's going to happen in this maybe in this last segment I reveal. That's, that's true. Don could kill so, off my character and yeah, walk away yeah. with Garther in the end being like, what up, <laughs> boss mode, walk away. And I'll be like, Don, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I don't think we need to go on too much about about all of that. We can just we can just jump in here. Alrighty, let's do this. Garther walked slowly through the mist, his soft leather boots making almost no sound on the damp ground. A thick green cloak covered his head and broad dwarven frame, keeping the cold, damp air at bay. He could hear faint sounds in the distance, but he couldn't see more than a short distance ahead. He paused to listen to the far-off sounds to get his bearings but he was unsure how to proceed. A dwarf ranger from the Blue Mountains, Garther had become separated from his companions in this unnatural fog. They were east of the Blue Mountains, heading for the Great East Road which would lead to the Shire. They had been engulfed in the mist, and the group had become separated. He had heard the voices of his companions calling him, but each time he moved towards the voices, the sound seemed to become more and more faint. He was quite sure at this point that some kind of unnatural evil spirit was toying with him and leading him in the wrong direction. At that point, he heard a shout off to his left, and he started moving in that direction. Before too long, he could see the footprints of several humanoids in the soft ground, and he followed them. They were at least half a dozen sets of prints, and he knew for certain he was following a group of orcs as they made no attempt to hide their passage. He could hear the orcs yelling ahead of him. They must be in pursuit of something to get them so excited. 
Garther was moving at a trot now, trying to gain on the orcs, but he came to an abrupt stop when he saw something on the ground just ahead of him. There were three dark shapes on the ground, one near to him and two further off. He drew his axe from his belt and moved slowly towards the first shape. It was a body, to be sure, and as he came upon the figure, he could see it was that of an orc. It lay on its back with an arrow buried in its chest, pointing up towards the sky. And good riddance to ya, he grumbled. Continuing on towards the other two shapes, he could see they were tangled together in a heap. The one on top was another orc for certain. As he could see, it still held a crude shield emblazoned with some garish symbol. He raised his axe ready to strike and rolled the orc over with his boot. No doubt it was dead as it had been stabbed through the throat with a spear. The spear was still held in the hand of its opponent now laying dead at his feet. It was a human male dressed in similar garb to what Garther was wearing. His bow lay on the ground nearby and his quiver was empty. A crude orc arrow had pierced his thigh which had probably forced him to stand and fight. He had obviously been overwhelmed by the orcs and sported several wounds, any of which would have been fatal. Garther straightened out the body of the man, laying his bow alongside and covering him with his cloak. The man was obviously traveling light and wasn't carrying much, but he had a satchel slung over one shoulder. As an afterthought, Garther removed the satchel looping the strap over his own shoulder. That's the best I can do for you at the moment, friend. There's more orcs that need killing, and if I'm not mistaken, they're still in pursuit of another of your kin. Garther stood up, slid his axe back into his belt. He retrieved his dwarven longbow, knocked an arrow, and started off once again in the direction the orcs had gone. Time to get those old legs moving, boyo, Garther said to himself as he broke into a trot. He jogged along for quite some time, following the trail of the orcs. He had passed another dead orc, again killed with a single arrow, so he was certain now the orcs were in pursuit of yet another victim. Several miles had gone by, and he was breathing heavily and thinking about dropping into a walk when he heard shouting just ahead. The orcs were jeering and shouting insults at their prey who they must have run down. He emerged from the mist into a bit of a clearing and stopped to take stock of what he was seeing. The orcs has caught up to their prey, obviously another ranger from the clothing, but Garther was too far back to make out more than that. The ranger had climbed up a rocky outcropping to make a last stand and held three orcs at bay with a sword as they tried to scramble up the rock to get to grips. Two more orcs armed with bows were much closer to Garther, and they looked for a clear shot at the ranger. Garther muttered, muttered to himself, Now let's see if I can even the odds a little. He spoke to the closest orc archer in a voice loud enough to be heard. I suppose even an orc doesn't deserve to be shot in the back. The orc was obviously shocked to hear someone behind him and spun around to identify the newcomer. 
Garther's shot hit him square in the chest and he fell dead with an arrow still knocked to his bow. The second orc archer shouted a warning at his fellows who were dealing with the ranger and drew an arrow and took aim at the dwarf. Garther dropped his bow and started a determined walk towards the remaining orc archer. I'll deal with you up close and personal, he said. He pulled his axe free from his belt and drew forth a throwing axe from his bandolier as he marched forward. The orc let fly with his shot and his aim was true, the arrow hitting Garther in the shoulder. However, the feeble orc bow didn't have the strength to penetrate his leather armor and the arrow just bounced off the tough dwarf. Garther charged towards his foe and the orc drew his crude sword in a panic. Just before he reached the orc, he heaved a throwing axe. The orc twisted wildly to avoid the impact and Garther barreled into the off-balance orc, knocking him to the ground. The beast reacted quickly, getting back to his feet, but Garther was immediately on top of him and deftly dispatched the unfortunate orc with his axe. A loud yell brought Garther's attention back to the rocky outcropping, where the ranger was still fighting for survival. As Garther looked over, he saw the limp body of an orc slide from the bloody blade of the ranger and roll off the perch to the ground below. He could tell that the ranger was hurt and another of the orcs was now up on the rock and engaged with the ranger. Of more immediate concern was the last of the three orcs, a huge bare-chested brute who was charging towards Garther. He came on at full speed, a two-handed axe raised above his head for a killing blow. Just before the huge orc reached him, Garther dove forward and tucked into a tight roll to one side of the orc. As the two passed each other, the sharp blade of the dwarf's axe opened up a large gash on the shin of the orc. The huge beast stumbled and came to a stop bellowing in pain and frustration. He was quick to his feet, axe at the ready, the orc turned undeterred and advanced on the dwarf, slowly this time. Garther noticed he had not been the only one to wound this hulking brute, as he could see the broken shaft of an arrow projecting from his shoulder, blood running down its torso. The orc didn't seem to even notice his wounds and advanced undeterred, swinging his axe in front of him from side to side. Even a glancing blow from that huge weapon would likely be the end of Garther. The two combatants circled each other, fainting strikes and taking measure of their opponent. The orc suddenly lunged forward and swung his axe in a level arc just above waist height. Garther had no choice but to duck down low to avoid the swing, one knee even touching the ground. He immediately realized his mistake as he saw the orc throw out a kick in what was obviously a well-practiced combo. All he could do was turn his shoulder into the kick to avoid being hit square in the face. Even still, the impact was jarring and sent him sprawling backwards. He barely had time to get to his feet before the orc was on top of him once again. This time the orc swung the butt end of his axe in a tight arc trying to catch him a stunning blow to the head. Garther was no stranger to hand-to-hand -hand fighting, and he was expecting the attack. 
He dodged the blow and swung his axe in a backhand that caught the orc on the elbow. The orc bellowed, dropping the axe and clutching his shattered arm. Before the orc even knew what was happening, he moved in and swung his axe down, killing the orc. He looked up to see what was happening on the rocky outcropping, but neither of the two combatants were standing. The orc and the ranger were both down and unmoving. He moved quickly to the scene of the combat and climbed up the rock face. He grimaced as Zishelpa felt a sharp pain in his shoulder where he had been kicked by the orc. Bloody green skin, he muttered to himself. There was no doubt the orc was dead, but he wasn't sure about the ranger as the human lay on their side facing away from Garther. He knelt down carefully and rolled the ranger onto their back. He was relieved to hear a soft groan as he moved the body. The ranger's face was partially covered by a green hood, so Garther moved it aside to get a better look at his patient. When he got a good look at the face, he retracted and let out an involuntary gasp. Well, now that's not something you see every day, now is it? Garther rears back, shocked at what lay underneath the hood. Well, that's not something you see every day, now is it? Staring at him is a woman's face, chiseled with short-cropped, ash-brown hair with long bangs in the front. Dark olive skin shines in the dim light, and fierce brown eyes emanate murderous intent. They relax when she realizes he's not an orc. Looking her up and down, Garther exhales a sigh of relief and when he sees no wounds. Are ye injured, girl? Staring at him crossly. Woman, and no, I'm not. Thanks to you, though. If this fight went on any longer, that brute with the two-handed axe would have had me. Garther nods and wipes the dirt off his knees, standing up and pro-offering a hand to her. He, she waves him off, and stands up of her own accord, her rough calloused hands moving quickly across her attire, a slightly tattered and dirty green cloak, well-worn but serviceable leather armor, shabby brown pants and worn black boots. Satisfied with their condition, she turns to Garthrin and says, thank you again, dwarf, for the assistance. I could not she abruptly stops when she sees the satchel on Garther's shoulders. Emotionless, she flatly says, Hand the satchel to me. Garther pauses briefly, taking in her request. The delay in his decision causes the murderous intent to appear in her eyes again. So he quickly nods. Here, lass, your satchel. Quickly removing it from his shoulder, Garther hands it to her. She snatches it and deftly flicks it over her shoulder. It instantly disappears beneath her cloak, hidden from the view of prying eyes. Was only holding on to it temporarily, Garther says, taking a step back on the rock perch, hands out, placating her. Gave the ranger as proper a burial as I could, too. Nodding softly at Garther, her body relaxing. I hope you'll forgive the matter, dwarf. He was dear to me 
and his possessions are of utmost importance. Knowing that they are secure gives me a small measure of happiness. An awkward silence descends upon the clearing as both rangers stare at each other. A silence further accentuated by the fact that there are no sounds of wildlife. A silence that breeds madness, and one that Garther has no interest in allowing to continue. Your name, lass, he asks. Names are earned, not given, she responds. Garther nods. As a dwarf, respect and honor are prized above all else, so we can see the logic in that. She turns from him and begins shuffling through the bodies. Moments pass as she turns over several orc corpses. Finally, with a look of relief, she pulls a bow from underneath one of them. As she inspects her bow, Garther watches with some intrigue. She checks the string integrity, the upper and lower limbs for cuts or gashes, half drawing it several times before nodding and slinging it over her back. It is not the standard longbow that Garther expected. Slightly smaller, more compound. The type you see in use by Haradrim raiders, or so the stories go. The scavenging of bodies throughout the clearing continues until she amasses almost two dozen orcish arrows, two bottles of grog, and a package. Taking a seat in the middle of the clearing, Facing the direction of the mist where Garther entered, she uncaps the jug of grog and gives it a sniff. Tilting her head sideways, almost in acknowledgement of something, she takes a swig. Leaning against a tree nearby, Garther shivers and spits unconsciously. Brackish and foul that mixture is. You will not catch me drinking that stuff, he thinks. I will die of dehydration before a drop of that passes my lips. After a second swig, she opens up the package, revealing orcish bread. A brownish-gray hunk that looks more like stone than bread. Seeing no mold on it, a hunk of bread is torn off and inserted into her mouth. Her face slightly contorts with revulsion before the taste washes is washed away with more grog. You want any, she asks. Fervently shaking his head and pointing at the grog, that's a filthy mixture and the bread to boot. You'll not catch me eating that, not even if I were to starve myself. Also, gesturing at the arrows, they will not fly true no matter what you expect of them. They are orcish made, after all. Smiling to herself, her eyes roll unconsciously. That's the difference between you and me, she counters, eyeing Garthra shrewdly. You have the luxury of choice. I do not and sometimes that weds poor bedfellows. Besides, she continues, as long as the grog is not sour, nor the bread moldy, it's edible by our standards. Say what you will about orcs, but they make nutritious food that keeps you on your feet. As for the arrows, gently shifting her slightly hourglass figure to reveal the quiver overflowing, they fly true enough. They hit an orc from 30 yards in the chest, and that's all I need. To each their own, I guess. You can have your grog and bread, had ye asked. I would have offered you some of mine, Garthur replies. Acknowledging the offer with a nod, I'll remember that next time I'm hungry. Then again, I suspect, like me, you have been waylaid by the mist. Your own provisions must be running low by now. Garthur concedes the point with a nod. 
His rations were halved and his water was almost gone. Aye, this bloody mist has been toying with me for at least three days now. I entered it with a small group of dwarves heading east, but we were quickly separated. How about you? Finishing the bread and drowning the rest of the grog before discarding the jug? I was helping that ranger you buried hunt orcs, traveling west from who knows where. Waving at the fog outside the clearing, we lost our bearings in the fog, and by the time we realized our plight, the enemy was upon us. Looking down at the ground introspectively, pools of sadness welling in her eyes, he told me to flee, and he would hold them off. A fool's plan that caused him to die in vain. Garthor shakes his head. Nay, lass, he skewered two before he fell. Had he not, I don't think we would have survived the fight. Lost in Reviri, staring blankly into the haze, she responds. Thank you for the kind words, dwarf. It does not give me solace, but at least his death has meaning. No, she continues, what will make me feel better is if we hunt and murder the orcs responsible for it. Their encampment is not far from here. Garthra gives her a perplexing look. How do you know that? She responds grimly. When we lost our bearings, we stumbled upon their camp. From what I could see, it is in another clearing similar to this. Only half their number chased after us. I guess they figured eight was enough to finish off two humans. They're a mistake, Garthra says, smiling. Standing up and turning to face him, she holds out her hand. Are you with me, dwarf, to slay the orcs who killed my friend? Garthur smiles, moving forward to clasp her forearm. Aye, lass, you don't have to ask me twice. If there's orcs to hunt, you have my axe. Garther and his mysterious female companion had been jogging across the land for what seemed like hours. Slow down, woman, cursed Garther. Come on, dwarf, you aren't tired already, are you? The woman replied. Yes, I'm tired, and I'm not going to continue running in circles on this moor. You are prancing around here like a lost deer. I can't keep up this pace, and it's obvious. You have no idea where you're going. Oh, and my name is Garther, not Dwarf, so do me the courtesy of using it. I guess I'll have to save your life at least one more time before I earn the right to your name, woman. Garther stopped and bent forward at the waist, his hands on his knees trying to catch his breath. The woman smiled and let out a chuckle. Truth be told, she had been testing this old dwarf to find his limit, and she had found it, and sooner than expected. She had thought she knew which way to go to find the orc camp, but she had obviously taken a wrong turn. Everything looked the same to her in this barren landscape. All right, dwarf, Garther, let's stop for a breath. Well, you may be lost, but fortunately, I know where I am. There, he pointed to a series of three large boulders jutting out of the ground a couple of hundred yards away. The broken skulls, we call them. They were massive round boulders laid out in a straight line and all three had cracked right down the center. My people from the Blue Mountains sometimes send patrols into this land 
to keep our eye on things. He hesitated briefly and then continued. You know, to make sure the orcs are not getting too close. Those rocks there mark the furthest point we go into this land. It's been... It's been many years since I've seen them. Garther went quiet and stared at the rocks, his expression sullen. He was lost in thought as old memories all but forgotten resurfaced to be considered yet again. Like phantom images from a past that would never leave him. Garther stared at the stones in the distance and sang softly to himself. It left the world and took its flight over the wide seas of the night. The moon set sail upon the gale and stars were fanned to leaping light. Garther? The woman shocked him back to the present. Aye. Oh, yes, I was saying. We have several spots we use as camps in this land. There is one close to here, some ruins just over that ridge. He indicated a low rise about half an hour's walk to the west. If we're lucky, we may find some meager supplies hidden there, he finished. The woman looked at the ridge in the distance. Well, it's as good a place as any to hunt for orcs. Let's go. She immediately headed off at a trot. Again with the running, grumbled Garther under his breath. Garther watched as this human girl ran off towards the ridge. She was an anomaly, to be sure. She was obviously not from any human settlement near here. He'd never seen a human like her before, that much was certain. Her skin color was much darker than anything he'd seen before, and her bow was very different from what the local humans used. He assumed she must be from the eastern lands where he understood that humans matching this description came from. But why was she here? She was traveling with a human ranger, or perhaps a Dunedain, he wasn't sure. Why would a young woman like her from the east be traveling with them in the northeast corner of Eriador? When he'd asked her where she was from, she'd answered evasively, saying, Traveling west from who knows where. Even more curious was her claim that she knew where this orc camp was and then was completely unable to find it. No doubt there was an interesting story behind all this, and he was curious to uncover it. For now, he was just happy to have a traveling companion that could handle herself. Certainly beats traveling alone. Garther roused himself from his thoughts and started after the girl at a trot. The two companions crossed the open ground, the distant ridge getting closer with each stride. The woman was well in front of Garther, and as she came close to the top of the rise, he saw her stop and drop to one knee, obviously intent on reducing her profile. He labored on, eventually coming to her side and dropping down on both knees with a thud, breathing heavily. She pointed down to the opposite side of the ridge, saying, it looks like someone has beaten us to your campsite. They looked down on the ruins of some ancient human settlement. The ruin was huge and contained the remnants of numerous large structures. Partially collapsed walls, broken columns, and arches were scattered across a wide area. 
Moss and vines covered everything like some kind of tattered green blanket. Somewhere near the center of the area they could see a thin wisp of smoke rising from a small fire. Around it were scattered at least half a dozen small tents and crude lean-tos. They could see several orcs leisurely walking around the camp. That's my ruin, all right, says Garther, and it looks like we've found your orc camp after all. The woman shook her head. This is not where we left the orcs, but I suppose it could be the same group. Perhaps they've moved their camp here. Garther and the woman both turned suddenly as they heard a sound from behind them. Several hundred yards back from the way they came, two orcs on wargs had been approaching as quietly as they could. Eventually, one of the wargs couldn't contain its excitement and let out a growl, giving away their presence and ruining their surprise. Instantly, Garther and the woman had their bows in hand and were reaching for arrows. As soon as they were seen, both orcs spurred their mounts into a charge. One of the orcs headed straight for the two rangers. He wore light armor, carried a shield, and held a throwing spear above his head as he charged. The other orc was unarmored and carried only a bow. He came forward but veered off slightly to one side. He stood up in his stirrups and put an arrow on the string and half drew his bow as he charged forward. Garther, the woman, and the orc all loosed their arrows one after another in quick succession. All three shots missed their mark. Garther shot past in front of his target the woman shot went well over the head of the charging warg rider, and the orc shot landed well short of Garther. They would only have time for one or two more shots before the charging orcs reached them. The woman was first to get off her second shot. She aimed for the rider once again, and the shot was closer this time, but still passed over the target. Garther shouted at her, Shoot the dog, woman! The dog! The orc tracker and the dwarf both loosed their arrows at virtually the same time. Garther's shot hit the warg in the neck, and both dog and orc crashed to the ground, rolling forward in a tangle of limbs and fur. The orc's arrow flew true and hit Garther on his bow hand. The arrow passed through his hand, severing a finger and lodging itself in his bow. The dwarf shouted, dropping the bow and clutching his injured hand with the other. He strutted around shouting obscenities at the orc while clutching the now bloody appendage. Finally, the orc managed to free himself from his dead mount, throwing down his broken bow and drawing his dagger. Garther thrust his bloody hand at the orc. Look what you've done to me, you stinking beast! Half the index finger on his left hand was missing, and his hand was covered in blood. He pointed at the orc with the bloody stump of his finger. I'll do you for this, you bloody green rat! Without even drawing a weapon, he charged at the orc. Meanwhile, the woman had time for one last shot at the charging warg rider. The orc was just about to throw its spear when she let loose her final shot. This time the arrow was on target, but the orc just managed to position his shield in time to block the shot. The warg rider reared up and threw his spear at point-blank range just before he and his warg barreled into the woman. The spear sailed through the air right at the woman who was now virtually unarmed. Before the spear even struck home, 
the orc was drawing his sword, and the warg opened its maw wide, thirsting for human blood. smile grew on the orc's face at the prospect of an impending kill. Spear hurtling towards its prey, his sword drawn and warg pouncing. Life was good, he thought. His smile slowly started to disappear as the woman effortlessly sidestepped the spear. Moving as a blur, she twirled away from danger, diving to his right. The dive flowed into a roll. He attempted to bring his sword down upon her evading body and caught nothing but her cloak. It too was fluid, yielding to the blade's pressure without harm. Mid-roll saw her bow laid gently on the ground, as a small pool may appear after a torrent of water passes, unharmed and well-placed. His mouth agape with incredulity, eyes failing to process the unbelievable. She moved like an elf, but was a human. How, he thought. Engrossed in the moment, he didn't rear his warg. Its pounce took him further from her, too far for a second charge. He watched impotently as she sprang upwards into an aerial cartwheel, legs kicking into the air, her body pivoting, building torque. It was only then that he saw the blades in her hand, hands, throwing daggers held by the tips. As her right leg hit the ground, the momentum of her torso swinging upwards gave added force to the first dagger throw. It sank into the hind leg of his warg. It yelped a distant echo as the orc was helpless in his saddle, focusing on her movements. All other sights and sounds dim before the display of this battle maiden. As her left leg came down, she used it as a pivot to twirl a second time. The built-up momentum of the spin enhanced the force of the second throwing knife, embedding it in the warg's front leg. The creature yelped a second time and swayed right. The orc's eyes went wide, realizing his danger. He frantically worked his leg out of the stirrups, trying to get free before the warg fell, pinning him. His exit from the saddle was far less graceful, tumbling out, uh, tumbling out like discarded rocks, collapsing on the ground at an awkward angle. Sword tossed haphazardly to avoid stabbing himself. Clawing at the dirt with his right hand, trying to gain purchase to push himself upright, frantically hauling his shield arm around to defend himself, sweat beating on the brow and panic in his eyes as he searched for her. A flash of motion and glint of metal was all he saw before a third throwing dagger buried itself in his face. The weight of the strike jerked his head backwards, falling face up towards the downed warg. Flashes of images mixed with the growing darkness, her drawing a small ikette, reverse grip from behind her back, leaping into the air, the ferocious hunter thrusting her ikette downward, both hands on the hilt. The blade plunged into the warg's throat, and it yelped no more as oblivion took the warg and the orc. Split down the center grain and useless, thought the orc tracker. His horn-hewn bow hung at his side, all tension absent from the bowstring. Standing tall, he wondered what had happened to the dwarf. He heard the beast cursing, so he must have hit it. Crunch, crunch. 
His orcish ears perked up at the sound of boots stepping on gravel. He swiveled to see where the sound came from, and his eyes locked with death itself. The dwarf advanced on him, each step deliberate and sure. Garther's eyes were wide and intense. A mixture of madness and rage fueled the dwarf. The dwarf's ancient hatred for orcs manifested in his presence. Nostrils flares, his breath came out ragged, not from the pain in Garther's left hand, but from the indignity of the injury to an orc. Stomp, stomp. Trembling at the sight of the dwarf, the orc started involuntarily shaking, subtle at first, but as death came closer, the shuddering magnified. Legs started wobbling, stomach queasy and ready to expel its contents. Mouth grew dry. Oh, how dry it was. It felt like a barren desert, preventing the tracker from crying out. Boom, boom. Leaking down his leg, the orc wasn't sure which end it came out of, only that it came out freely and purely from fear. His eyes were drawn and bloodshot uh, from locking eyes with the dwarf, never blinking for fear that death would take him instantly. Swallowing hard, he reached for the, reached for the last vestiges of his courage and tried to bring up his dagger. That was met with an earth-shattering noise. Don't ye point a butter knife at me, orc, bellowed Garther before swatting it out of the orc's hand. Garther brought up his right fist and threw a heavy cross, knocking the orc unconscious in one blow. Standing over the unconscious body, Garther stared down at it and spat, Pathetic orc. Couldn't even kill me in a f couldn't even give me a fight. I'll never live this down with me, lads. My bow finger, no less. So disgraceful. Grunting, Garther reached for a hand axe on his belt when he heard, a when he heard her call to him. Keep him alive, Garther. We need information on that camp. Sighing deeply, Garther nodded. Bloody orc gets to live a little longer, he thought. Wisps of smoke drifted up the ridge and down the battlefield, coming from the ruins. Light at first, but heavier as the orcish fires grew. It reached Garther's nose, and he, and he retched slightly. A horrific blend of rotten flesh left out over several days, mixed with dirt and a familiar gravel-like scent. What foul, what foul, disgusting carcasses are they cooking over there, he thought. Looking down at the orc, Garther smiled briefly. I'll ask this lout before I gut him, he thought. It might even make the embarrassment of this injury go away. But, staring down at his bloody index finger, he doubted it very much. A log popped in the fire, rousing the orc from his forced slumber. Sluggish and dizzy, he tried opening his eyes, but the world spun with vibrant reds, oranges, and yellows. Then, as his senses came to him, he heard voices, two, a man to his right and a woman to his left, arguing. Garther, we cannot kill him yet. He knows the camp, and if we want to enter it, we need to know what we're up against, she said. The orc was laid in a fetal position. Feeling around, he knew his legs were bound. Curiously, though, his hands were not. The duo was thorough, he thought. He was ransacked of his weapons. Bah! Who cares? Be done with it! We can scout the camp well enough. We don't need any orcish lies to ensnare us in a trap, snarled Garther. You try that, Garther, thought the orc. They'll gut you good and proper before you know it. Add you to the pile. 
more meat for the party. He will talk. He knows something and he will tell us, the ranger replied. Then the ranger's voice changed timber and she inquired, how is your finger? Has the pain subsided somewhat? Interesting, the orc thought. The woman seemed dainty and frail. Maybe I can use that to my advantage. Get me out of this situation. Appeal to her softer side. Aye, the Garther replied. After ye burned the wound closed, I thought the pain would never end. Whatever that weed was that you put on my finger, it did the trick. I hardly feel a thing. What is that stuff anyway? Feeling around with his hands, the orc thought he could feel orc thought he could feel something against his body, leaning against his chest. Small, yet with liquid contents? A drink, perhaps, he thought. Aethalus, she replied. It has powerful medicinal properties. My mother told me about it when I was young. Unfortunately, though, most people think of it as a weed and nothing more. The container sloshed back and forth as the orc moved ever so slightly. Definitely liquid, but I wonder if it's safe, he thought. It's grog, orc, she said matter-of-factly, and I know you're conscious, so you might as well sit up. Opening his eyes, he saw the woman and the dwarf named Garther staring at him, both sitting on small boulders, a campfire between them and a cloudy night sky above. You should be worrying, orc, said Garther smugly. Your friends won't hear us nor see this fire. We're safe here. You, on the other hand, Garth's eyes became slits as his malice poured out towards the orc. Chuckling, the orc sat up. You can't kill me, stinking dwarf. Not until you get what I know. So until then, best you shut up. Garther startled to lunge for the orc, but the female ranger halted him with the word. Garther! Garther spun and locked eyes with her. Kill him and be done with it, girl, he snarled again. She met his intensity with the softness a mother gives her child. We need the orc, Garther, she pleaded. He can tell us things, and until we know what he knows, no outbursts or threats. A long pause as they both stared at each other, fighting for dominance in the conversation. Please, she finally asked. Grumbling, Garther sat down at the boulder, sat down back at the boulder, and stared at the orc intently. The pushover can boss him around, even better, the orc thought. I'll be dragging them along with lies until my friends get here in no time. But of course, where is here? Looking up, he found his back was to a series of large boulders, all split down the center. He'd seen this place earlier on today and thought the rock formation was odd. Still, a well-known site and something his boys had been to. It was only a matter of time until a search party is sent out. They are bound to have found the other bodies by now. The orc tracker sat up and propped his back to one of the more enormous boulders. Picking up the flask, he popped the cork and sniffed the contents. Grog never smelt so good before, he thought. He emptied half the contents down his throat and immediately felt refreshed. He wiped the dribble of the liquid off his throat with his ratty green cloak. It was new a couple days ago, but hard riding and the weather had mucked it up. Still, it did the job and kept me warm. Thick woolen cloaks have a tendency of doing that. What do you want to know, said the orc. Let's start with your name, she replied. I'm calling the shots here, human, he smirked. Yours first. She smiled at him and said, Furial, a pleasure to meet you, orc. And yours. She held out her hand as if expecting an outburst from the dwarf. He did not disappoint. 
his eyes widened and his mouth slack-jawed. Pleasure to make your... Pleasuring, Furial. I am Othrug, he replied, crossing his arms, smiling smugly at Garther. Garther roared, I save your life, and you refuse to tell me your name, but an orc? So you'll give an orc your name at the first asking, he rose. Standing tall and proud, pointing his newly bandaged hand at her. Garther, Furial said, holding out her hands in a placating fashion, calm yourself. You would have found out my name soon enough. You have proven yourself a mighty warrior. I did not mean to disrespect for you. Then, motioning to his boulder, she continued, Please sit. I'll do whatever I can to right this wrong, after we have finished hosting our guest. Turning to face the orc, Please continue, Othrug. Tell us about your people in the camp, she said softly. Not much to tell, really, he replied. He smiled broadly, but only with his lips. There are about twenty of us in the camp, six tents, as I'm sure you've seen by now. Reinforcements are expected any day. Shrugging his shoulders nonchalantly and turning to stare at the leftmost boulder absentmindedly. Other camps wrapping up their business to this in this. Othrug coughed briefly, feeling his throat go dry. He held out his hand for patience, took another swig from the flask, and continued. The other camps were finishing up their business. Smiling, Furiel nodded. She looked encouragingly at Garther. See, I told you, she said. A little drink and some friendly company, and he's willing to help us out. She turned to face Othrog and said, Why don't you tell us about your leader? What's he like? Gothrog looked, Othrog looked back at her blankly and said, You mean Lagthak? Biggest orc I've ever seen. Wears good quality human armor, along with a dwarven mattock can split the brains of a human in full plate in one swing. Didn't see any problems letting that info slip, he thought. Lagthak will kill them all the same. He felt, his, he felt his throat go dry again, slightly tightening up. Reflexively, he took another swig of grog. He must be getting more nervous than he thought. Lagthak, eh? She said, furial pondering the thought for a moment, eyeing Othrog analytically. An awkward silence briefly settled on the conversation before she continued. So, what are Lagthak's plans? He has a huge group of orcs with him. Twenty plus by the sounds of it. Othrug smiled ever so slightly at the mention of twenty, and she continued. He has to have a good reason for why they'd head this far west. From Angmar, I presume? I'm just a lowly orc tracker, said Othrug, smiling. He shrugged his shoulders, giving his best innocent look. They don't tell me much. Garther's patience hit its boiling point, and he stood up. There, you happy lass? He told us everything he knows. His axe slid from his belt. Time to split his skull. Othrog's eyes quickly darted left and right. Furiel wasn't jumping up to stop him. I still have. Coughing again, his throat parched. Taking another swig from the flask, he continued, I'm still important. I have plenty of things that you can make use of. Furiel stood up and interposed herself between Othrog and the advancing Garther. She put her hands on his shoulders and smiled. Garther, he still has a little more to tell us. Have patience. Her softness and genuine smile eased Garther ever so slightly. Lass, I'm growing impatient. My hand is starting to hurt, and only an orcish skull split by my axe can be a salve for it. Nodding appreciatively, Furiel said, In time, you will have that and the truth, I promise. Garther looked at her quizzically for half a moment, and then nodded and sat down on the ground, closer by half to Othrug. 
Furiel returned to her boulder, calm and poised, hands over her lap. She smiled at Othrug. He noticed for the first time she only smiled with her mouth. Now, Othrug, tell us, what happened to the rest of the Dwarven Rangers? Garthur stared blankly at Furiel, and then back to Othrug. Othrug's eyebrows furrowed, and sweat started to bead on his forehead. What Dwarf Rangers? Pointing at Garthur, he continued, I only see him. Her smile shrank by a fraction as she replied, Let's start with the dwarf ranger whose cloak you're wearing. Garthur's focus immediately shifted to the cloak. His right hand reflexively touched his own. He could tell that they were a match. Poor weather could only sully fine dwarven craftsmanship so much. That was his kin's cloak. Garthur slowly thundered towards Othrug. No weapon in hand, for none was needed. The pure, bestial fury of a dwarf who had lost kin was all that was required to quail Othrug. If Othrug could shrink into the recesses of that split boulder, he would have. He tried to open his mouth in protest, but the dryness returned. It consumed his voice and now spread to his lungs. A racking cough overtook him. Garthur stopped only when Othrug's chest spasmed so heavily he spat up blood in the dirt. Othrug brought the flask to his throat to help clear the dryness, but stopped. He stared at it with shaky hands. You're correct. It's poisoned, she said flatly. She looked at her, and her demeanor changed. Still calm and poised, but her eyes, their haunting emptiness, it sent a shiver down his spine. I couldn't get you to drink the grog if I acted like Garthur, now could I? She continued. The iciness of the words hung in the air like a frosty breath on a cold winter's day. Based on your mannerisms, you were lying about the numbers. They're probably half that number at most within the camp. But Lagthak, you told me the truth. I could see why. Mix a bit of truth in, and the complacent woman and the enraged dwarf will believe you. She looked at Garthur, and he nodded to her. He turned back to Othrug, then looked down at the cloak. He hesitated for a moment before returning to the boulder. I have an antidote, which I'll give to you. But I need the complete truth, though, she said. Out with it. You haven't much time before the dryness takes over your lungs and you choke to death. Othrug's chest was frantically heaving up and down. He could feel less and less air getting in, like his lungs wouldn't accept it. The dryness was almost unbearable. He looked left and right, his pleading eyes falling on blank stares. The truth was the only way out, he thought. Okay, fine. There are, all, there are about ten of us in the camp. We aren't waiting on anyone else. Lagthak is our leader, and I don't know why he let us here. And the dwarves, she replied. Othrug coughed up more blood and wildly screamed, Please, you have to give me the antidote. And the dwarves, she repeated, her right eyebrow raised expectedly. His mind was racing, the lack of oxygen causing his vision to blur. Finally, he blurted out, We lost a score of orcs taking down those damned dwarves. We divided up the loot, and we have been... Othrug stopped and looked down sheepishly. Garthur looked up. He was pensive before, but his rage returned. Stymied only by Othrug's implication, a meek flicker of hatred danced in his eyes, the question welling up inside, not wanting to be asked but needing to be known. Have been what? he said. It came out as a whisper, and it hung for a second longer before Othrug replied equally as weak. 
have been eating them. You probably smelled the campfire cooking their flesh. Garth's shoulders slumped and his head slouched. Grief enveloped him, and his eyes stared blankly at the fire, lost in mournful reverie. Furiel walked over, bent down on one knee, and put her hand on his shoulder. Her eyes were sorrowful and respectful. Do you want me to give do you want me to give him the antidote? she asked. Garthur scowled and bent all his hatred gazing at Othrug. If his malice and darkness could be a weapon, they would have smote Othrug and obliterated the boulder behind him. But emotionless, he replied, No. Othrug's eyes went wide. The panic of breathlessness breathlessness was taking hold. His energy was almost spent. He weakly clawed out, holding out any hope for Furiel. Her wicked smile and devilish eyes dashed his chances. Good. Even if Garther had said yes, I couldn't have given it to you. There is no antidote for what I poisoned you with. Collapsing to the ground, in between his last gasping breaths, Othrug heard Garther say, Give me time, Furiel. She replied, My name is not Furiel, Garther. I would not dishonor you by telling an orc first. You and I are oath-bound. I keep my oaths and, and the significance of them. My name is Elioneth, and I am at your service. Garther and Elioneth had dragged the dead orc a good distance away from their impromptu camp. They hid the body in some brush around the far side of the broken skulls. While walking back to camp, Elioneth paused to admire their setup. A light rain had started to fall, so they had moved their fire under a slight overhang on one of the massive boulders. Garther had deployed a small tarp from his pack, and after knocking a few nails into the cracks in the rock, he had strung it up over their little nook. Now they had some shelter from the weather, which was a very welcome, as they both desperately needed some rest. She suddenly realized that Garther was not beside her, and turned to see what was holding him up. Garther was just rounding the far boulder while shoving his axe back into his belt. What are you doing? she asked Garther. Just making sure he was dead. You can never be too sure. They retreated from the weather, taking up positions under the tarp on either side of their small fire. Garther lifted the shield he had recovered from the dead warg rider to inspect it further. Although it had not been well cared for, it was certainly not made by any orc. It was a stout wooden shield trimmed with metal and sported a metal cross on its facing. It was way beyond orc craftsmanship, but not even close to what a dwarf smith could do. All the same, it was a very serviceable shield, and with the injury to his hand, he would not be able to use his bow effectively for quite some time, so he intended to use this shield in the coming fight. Garther said suddenly, I intend to kill all the orcs in that camp yonder. I'm not sure if what that orc said was true, but no doubt they have killed some of my people. I will probably die in the attempt, but I can't live with that knowledge and do nothing. 
I don't expect you to throw your life away in what is probably the foolish decision of a stubborn dwarf. Stubborn dwarf or no, you saved my life, and I don't take that life lightly. I'm oath-bound, and I will stay with you until my debt is paid. However, that doesn't mean we have to charge into that orc camp like a couple of half-mad berserkers with some kind of death wish. Let's talk through what we know and come up with a plan. Garther just grunted and nodded his head in agreement. Elioneth continued, Now tell me everything you know about this ruin. Several hours later, Garther sat with his back to the rock, keeping watch, while he turned over the events in the day in his mind. He had dug out his pipe and was enjoying a smoke while he listened to the steady rain hitting the tarp. Elioneth lay sleeping on the other side of their small fire, which had now burned down to glowing embers. He placed a small twig on the hot embers and watched as flames sprang up to consume it. Staring at the fire, he spoke the words softly, almost unconsciously. I sit beside the fire and think of people long ago, and people who will see a world that I shall never know. A steady trickle of water came down off the tarp and splashed on the ground. Garther had been capturing the rain in a large metal cup he had retrieved from his pack. He had already drunk his fill and topped up both their water skins. Now he was preparing to cook some gruel over the hot coals of the fire. He hadn't eaten anything for almost a full day and his stomach was protesting loudly. This small meal wouldn't be much, but it would have to do until they were able to find something more substantial. After several hours, Garther woke Elioneth so she could keep watch while he got some sleep. He lay down on, with his cloak around him, his head on his pack, and was asleep in seconds. Elioneth stoked the small fire and added a couple of sticks to keep it going. Sitting on the ground, she went through a series of stretches. She did this every morning upon rising to work out any stiffness and keep her muscles loose. There was going to be a fight, and her acrobatic fighting style demanded that she look after herself. She glanced over at Garther and listened to his steady breathing. When she was sure he was asleep, she retrieved the leather satchel, opened the flap, and withdrew a bundle wrapped in cloth. She lay it on the ground in front of her and untied the string that held the bundle together. Carefully unfolding the cloth wrapping, she arranged the contents held within and began to go over them. There were two small metallic objects of unusual shape. She picked up each in turn and briefly examined them in the dim light, more with her sense of touch than anything else. Both were flat, finely crafted, and about the size of a small brooch. The first was in the shape of a crescent moon, with several runes embossed into its surface, while the second looked more like a coin and held a small red gem at its center. Both pieces fit together to become one, with another spot obviously available to fit a third piece, the missing piece. There was also a small notebook with a leather cover. It was old and well-worn, most of its pages wrinkled and dog-eared, 
Stuffed inside the notebook was a separate piece of fit paper folded over many times. She began to casually flip through the pages, not really certain what she was looking for. She thought of Falhorn and remembered how he would pore over the notes in the book almost every night. The mysteries held within this small bundle of objects had been the focus of his life. He had put years of effort into creating the book and the map. Then finally, after years of searching, he had found one of the pieces. And then a few years later, the second. Now he was dead. She wasn't sure what to do with these things. She only had a passing knowledge of the history behind Falhorn's quest. Garther snorted and changed positions. Before Elioneth knew what she was doing, she had the book and the two artifacts wrapped up once again and stuffed the package back into the satchel. The next few hours passed without incident, and Elioneth woke Garther before dawn. The two were up and had their camp cleared up, even as the dim light of morning showed its face. They looked at the nook where their camp had been, and you would never know anyone had just spent the night there. Garther nodded approvingly. Leave no trace. Elioneth said, let's be off. Garther put his hand on the boulder that had provided them shelter, as if to say goodbye. Much in the way someone might touch the face of a loved one. He lowered his voice to a whisper but Elioneth was just able to hear his words. But all the while I sit and think of times that were before, I listen for returning feet and voices at the door. Then he turned and started off. Okay, let's go. Elioneth thought she could te see tears on Garther's face as he walked past her. She spoke softly to the dwarf. Garther, are you okay? Of course I'm okay, it's just a rain girl, he snapped and wiped his sleeve across his face. Elioneth held out her hand with palm up and looked up at the sky. It was overcast and the mist had returned, but there was no rain. Something about this place lay heavy on the heart of the dwarf. She wondered if they would ever become close enough for him to share that secret with her. Garther suddenly thrust a handful of arrows at the woman. Here, take these. I won't be needing them until my finger is healed. They will fly straighter than those crooked ore shafts you've been using. Besides, if our plan is to work, you're actually going to need to hit something with that bow of yours. Elioneth accepted the arrows without a word. She smiled, recognizing that Garther was just covering up his emotions with bluster, and she's decided to let it pass. The two spent the next hour making their way towards the ruin they had seen the day before. When they got close, they moved slowly and quietly, not wishing to be seen or heard. Fortunately, the early morning mist helped to cover their approach. They headed towards the remnants of a large building Garther had described, which was on the far side of the ruined settlement from the orc camp. They found their destination easily enough and worked their way inside what was left of the large structure. 
Unlike many of the others, this building still had some intact sections of walls with a massive central structure which appeared to have been several stories high at one time. Garthair had led them to one such wall in what was once the interior of this large building. Taking care to be as quiet as possible, he began to remove some large rocks and other rubble which was piled up against the wall. After a short time, they were able to expose the wall behind, and Elionis could see that several of the blocks there were only loosely fitted into place. Garther carefully removed these blocks, revealing an opening to a space beyond. Garther said, Stay here, there's only room for one inside this small space. With that, he squeezed himself through the hole in the wall and into the space beyond. Elioneth could hear the muffled sounds from within as Garther began to rummage through the contents of the supply cache. After several minutes of this, Garther's face appeared at the entry. Elioneth, take these. And he handed out to her a bundle of arrows, a small sack, and a heavy bundle wrapped in an oiled cloth. Garther extracted himself from the small space, and before long, they had replaced the blocks and rubble in front of the wall. All looked as it had before they arrived, and only a careful search would reveal that something had been disturbed here. Garther placed the heavy bundle on the ground in front of him and began to unwrap its contents. While doing so, he looked up at Elioneth and said, Keep that small sack. It's filled with dried beans. It'll give us several good meals if we survive the day. Having unwrapped the package, Garther stood up and held up its contents. A shirt of ring mail and a small metal helm. The rings of the shirt were large and made from heavy black iron, while the helm was just a cap with no neck guard or face shield. It's not quite what I was hoping for, but it will be far better than what I've got. I'll need your help to get this on over my leather armor. After several minutes of squeezing, pulling, and cursing, with Eliona's help, he stood with his new gear equipped. The shield recovered from the dead warg rider, ringmail covering his leather armor, and the small metal cap atop his big round head. Looking rather comical, he said, what do you think? Elioneth chuckled. Not exactly a member of the King's Guard now, are you? Garther laughed out loud. He drew forth his axe from his belt and struck it against his shield. Well, I think I'm finally ready to go meet Lagthrak. A long, soft exhale issued from Elioneth's nose as she crossed her arms and stared warmly at Garther, as a mother would a child. She smiled and said, While I'm happy you're ready for battle, if we go in now, it's a death sentence. Let me scout the ruins first and come up, a come up with a plan before we make our move. His eyes went hard as stone as she locked them with hers. Lass, I'll not play these tricks much longer. If you're going to scout, I expect to hear about orcs you've dispatched along the way. 
Eliona stared intently at him. Garther, if I kill any patrols, the orcs in the camp will know soon enough. This will make our task more difficult. He chuckled to himself, looking down at the ground before eyeing her with confusion. You're speaking about orcs here, lass. They're not that smart. He crossed his arms, mimicking hers, and continued. I won't hear anything of it. Kill the patrols, and then we will put axe to the orcs in the camp. Sighing deeply, Elioneth nodded before slipping away, fast as a shadow at dusk, moving through the paths between the crumbled buildings. Her footfalls made barely a sound, discernible only to elven ears. Her senses were alive in these moments. The human buildings around spoke of their fall. While the fires of war may have emptied these lands, it was age that withered the stone's beauty. Corroded structures, exposed to the elements both within and without, were now being consumed by nature. Moss and vines of vibrant greens covered everything, perfect for blending in and spying on our enemy, she thought. The ruins themselves were fairly ordered as she rounded the corner and spied wisps of smoke of the orcish camp in the near distance. As she crossed, crossed the large gap that separated each row of buildings, voices leapt unexpectedly from a bisecting large path three houses down to her right. Darting down a smaller overgrown path, she quickly pressed her body against the moss wall. Wrapping her cloak around her, her body blended into the surroundings and became one with the wall. The orcs passed not too long after, two of them idly chatting away in the foul speech of Mordor. Not understanding a word, she watched their body movements, the closer, smaller male, chewing away on the charred limb of a humanoid, an arm perhaps? The further, a lankier male, laughed at what appeared to be a joke from the smaller. They moved carelessly, hands weaponless, bows stowed, and eyes aimlessly wandering. A complete lack of respect for the roles they had been assigned, she thought. Grumbling, she shook her head. Garther will be the death of me, as she slid away from the wall, drawing her iquette and a throwing dagger. Both slid from their sheaths with nary a whisper, well-oiled and hungry for silent death. The dagger reverse-gripped and the iquette normal. Six steps away, she slowly and silently gained on them. The orcs continued down the large path, oblivious to her presence. Four steps. The shorter orc stopped and grumbled something to his friend. Elioneth paused mid-stride, limbs angled forward in preparation to pounce, not tense, not frozen, like an amateur, poised like a practice killer. The lankier one shrugged, and held out his arm for the haunch of meat. The shorter one obliged and headed off right to another small path between the buildings to relieve himself, she thought. The lankier one absently chewed away on the meat, looking towards his friend as the smaller disappeared down the alley. Elioneth felt the vibrations of the smaller one's footfalls as she slowly moved towards the chewing orc. Two steps. She angled herself to strike from the orc's left, using his body to block the bladder-filled orc's field of view should he look her way midstream. One step. A faint stream could be heard echoing from the alley when Elioneth pounced, 
Her ikat slid effortlessly up under the orc's ribs on his left side and into his lungs. The orc's lips opened and a quick <gasps> sound was made as the air left his body. His eyes rolled back as the throwing dagger slid under his throat and Elioneth dispatched him. The stream stopped abruptly and a stillness enveloped the roadway. She heard the dying orc's heart last heartbeats slowly thump to conclusion as she let go of the ikat and quickly drew a second throwing dagger. With no counterbalance, the dead orc dropped to the ground. The silence was not broken by the body, but by a near indiscernible gasp that drifted from the path. Sliding a step to her left, her body aligned perpendicular to the main road, she spotted the orc and its eyes went wide. Her left arm pumped the first dagger out and the right quickly joined suit. Two daggers flew fast and true. The first slammed into the orc's gut and as it rocked forwards, hunching slightly down, the second caught it in the throat. Fortune favored me tonight, she thought. The next strike should conceal my presence. Grabbing the lanky corpse, she dragged it on top of her friend in the gloomy path. Retrieving her weapons, she sped towards the orc camp. She didn't hold much faith in Garther's comments. Best move quickly and make sure the camp is scouted before the orcs are upon us, she thought. Dancing through the inky blackness of alleyways and side streets, Elioneth emerged a short while later within bowshot of the camp. Peering around the corner to her right, it sat in the intersection of two main streets, a couple of buildings away. She could hear orc voices as clear as day, but in the black speech, she understood none of it. The tents surrounding the campfire were blocking her view, so she would need a better vantage point to scout the camp. Leaning back from the main path, she stepped into the building to her right, looking to get a bird's eye view of the camp instead. She walked through an inadvertent garden of flora and fauna. Mounds of fallen stone and other small debris blanketed in a carpet of dirt and life. The decayed stone walls made easy handholds as she flew up the wall and onto the remnants of the second floor. She fared worse than the first with barely a third of it standing. A far cry better than the night sky for a ceiling, though. She finished her last ascent and peered down in the orcs from the roof. Or what remained of the roof. Five of them mingled around the camp. Two sat beside the fire, tending it, while a third rotated a stocky-sized object on a spit over the open flame. She couldn't see the object very well, but it looked like there were limbs wrapped up, she thought. A fourth could be seen chopping food on a wooden log. The last was peering into the darkness of the main path as it led back to Garther. They laughed and talked freely. The sentry wasn't doing a very good job keeping watch. Looking back at the fire with hungry eyes, ruining his night sight, a rustle of noise came from the largest tent, and a silence descended upon the camp. Not one of respect, but fear. A large, bulky orc emerged, a full two heads taller than Elioneth, and three heads taller than Garther. This orc towered over the others, clad in full plate with a large mattock in one hand. Elioneth guessed this was Lagthrak. He bellowed something in the black speech, 
The Yorks tending the fire stood upright and rigid, not daring to move. From her position she could see their visibly trembling bodies as they shook their heads furiously. He menacingly stalked up to the closest he menacingly stalked up to the one closest to the fire and screamed at the orc. The orc squealed and prostrated itself before Lagthrak. The act received a kick from their disgusted leader in turn. The orc yelped and spoke with such speed it sounded like a shrill call. Lagthrak turned to stare at the sentry, who immediately responded. Elioneth wished she hadn't disregarded her father's tutelage in the black speech right now. With a snap of his fingers, the orcs in the camp moved with surprising speed and efficiency. The fire was begrudgingly doused, blanketing the area in darkness. Elioneth squinted reflexively, crouching low on the top of the wall, reaching out her hands to balance herself, anxiety racing through her helpless body, visionless against her adversaries. Garther, you fool, I told you this would happen, she thought. She could not even tell him of the trap as she was blinded. She did not have the eyes of a dwarf or an orc, those accustomed to darkness. She needed more time to adjust to her surroundings. Tense moments passed, painfully slow, as shallow breaths passed over her lips. Her body froze with practice ease, keeping a low profile to blend in. The sound of the orcs heightened in her ears. A clattering of weapons retrieved from racks, arrows loaded into quivers, and shields clanging against drawn swords. Lagthrak broke the chaotic stillness of the moment with a startling proclamation. Come out, dwarf! We have almost finished feasting on your friends, and we need another meal. In perfect common, with all the correct inflections and intonations, Something not even Garther did, she thought. Her eyes shot open wide as a pale clamminess took her hands. When she heard a shout from the distance, Aye, orc, I've come for your head. Face me. Oh, Garther, no, she panicked Elioneth. Her limbs moved of their own accord as she sprang across the gap between buildings. Her bow was drawn mid-flight. Purpose filled her mind as she stealthily danced along the top of the walls, boots finding their proper footing with each step. Creeping into position at the top of the wall, she looked down at Lagthrak and his entourage. Two of the orcs in the rear held bows drawn and, and arrows knocked. Two flanked Lagthrak with sword and shield, and the fifth held a spear poised in support of his leader. Emerging from the opposite side of the street was Garther, clad in ringnet clad in ringmail with his axe and shield, standing tall, fury emanated from his stocky form. He looked like a champion of the dwarven annals, ready to do battle against a horde of marauding orcs, except he would die this day without her aid. Unconsciously, her fingers felt the softness of the dwarven fletching as an arrow was drawn from her quiver. Her bowstring quickly pulled back and death released from her bow. The arrow slammed into the closest orcish archer. The angle of the shot allowed the arrowhead to pierce down through the collarbone. Before any others could react, she drew and loosed a second arrow, hitting the other archer in the chest square on. Eliona screamed, Oathbound! The flanking orcs spotted Elioneth and raised their shields to defend Lagthrak. 
as the spear orc ran into the bottom floor of the building she was in. Lagthrak, Lagthrak turned his gaze upon her. There was a cunning in those eyes, a malicious intelligence far beyond a normal orc. Confusion and fear fought to dominate Ellie on its face as a spark of recognition crossed her eyes. Lagthrak smiled broadly. Well, aren't you far from home, little one? The orc closest to Elioneth, with shield raised against her, was unprepared for the onslaught of axe to neck. Garthar's weapon took the orc's head with one swipe as both Lagthrak and the other orc turned to face him. Wrong opponent, orcs, come face death, for there is one dwarf left in these lands that still draws breath. Garthar howled at the top of his lungs, Oathbound! Blood and gore sprayed across Garther's face as he wrenched his axe free from the neck of the dead orc. He didn't have long to ponder his next move as the second orc guard was already moving in to attack him while Lagthrak, the orc captain, was winding up a swing with his mattock. Garther had charged right into the lion's den, and now he would have his hands full, to say the least. The second orc guard came at him with shield raised, but Garther had surprised him, and he could tell the orc's attack would be clumsy and weak. He was far more concerned about Lagthrak than he was for this small orc. As expected, the orc swung his sword right at Garther's shield, intending to just spar with him until the bigger orc could move into the fight. Garther ignored the attack, moving forward and grabbed the orc by the tunic with both hands. He accepted the orc's weak attack to his side, knowing his newly acquired ringmail was more than capable of stopping that blow. The orc's eyes went wide with surprise, even as Garther pulled the orc towards him and rammed his helmeted head right into the face of the greenskin. The orc was stunned by the attack. Garther dug his feet into the ground and flexed the muscles in his upper body as he swung the limp orc bodily to his left, just in time to intercept the incoming attack from the orc captain. Lagthrak's swing was a powerful one, fueled by rage and intended as a killing blow. He swung his maul with two hands and with all his considerable strength. Garthar had moved the stunned orc right into the path of the attack and it folded in half like a rag doll. He stumbled back unbalanced from the force of the attack, dropping the now dead orc. He regained his balance just in time, as Lagthrak was already moving in for another attack. Garther was shocked how fast the orc captain had brought his heavy weapon back under control and launched a second attack. Knowing one hit from that weapon would finish him, he stepped closer to Lagthrak, coming inside the arc of the attack. Using sheer power, Lagthrak altered his swing and brought the heavy maul straight down on the dwarf. 
Garther desperately threw up his shield to block the attack, but the little shield was not quite up to the task. The impact of the heavy maul was terrible. It drove the edge of the shield into Garther's face, opening up a large gash on his cheek and breaking his nose. The shield broke under the weight of the attack and the dwarf was driven to the ground. Payne shot up his left arm as he lifted himself off of the ground and he was quite sure it was fractured. Blood ran freely down his face and into his beard, dripping down onto Lagthrak's boot. Garther knew the orc was probably winding up for a killing blow, and he reacted in the only way he could. He reversed his axe in his hand and brought it down on the top of Lagthrak's foot with all his might. There were two spikes on the backside of the axe as long as a finger, and they both drove through the leather boot and into the orc's foot. Lagthrak bellowed in pain and halted his attack, shocked by the unexpected blow. He reacted instinctively and kicked the dwarf with his right foot, sending him flying to land on his back several feet away. Garther could almost hear his ribs break with the impact of the kick and gasped as the wind was forced from his lungs. To make matters worse, the power of the kick had wrenched his axe from his grip and his little helmet clattered across the ground when he hit the dirt. For several precious seconds, Garther gasped for breath, his head swimming as he fought against the urge to swoon. Finally, he recovered enough to bring himself to his knees. He pawed at the ground around him, looking for his axe, but grasped only dry earth and sand. Suddenly, a hand grabbed him by the hair atop his head and pulled him up off the ground. Lagthrak raised him up with one arm, leaving Garther on his toes. You're a feisty little runt, aren't you, dwarf, said Lagthrak. But I'm done playing. Time to relieve you of your head. Lagthrak dropped his maul to the ground and slowly drew out a curved sword. He brought the blade level with Garther's neck and drew it back, ready to deliver the fatal strike. Elioneth watched from atop her perch on the wall as Garther charged headlong into combat with Lagthrak and his two guards. What a fool, she thought. Did this stubborn dwarf have some kind of death wish? She would no longer be able to shoot from atop the wall for fear of hitting Garther as the combatants clashed with one another. But she didn't want to drop her bow just yet. She knew the dwarf had bitten off more than he could chew, and no doubt he would be in need of some help. An orc, armed with a spear, was rushing towards her position, moving through the broken walls and fallen pillars as it endeavored to get to grips with her. She was not too concerned about the hapless orc and dropped down from atop the wall, bow still in hand. She landed with almost no sound, balanced and immediately poised to strike her foe, like a cat hunting its prey and ready to strike. 
She drew back the bowstring and fired in one quick motion, felling the orc almost effortlessly. Suddenly, the hair on the back of her neck stood up, and she was suddenly aware of some unseen danger. She quickly tucked into a roll and heard the swish of a blade pass just inches above her head. Then pain. Shocking, blinding pain lanced up her side as a heavy object slammed into her. Her roll was interrupted and she sprawled on the ground, losing the grip on her bow, which clattered across the ancient cobblestones. She was on her feet in a flash, just in time to see her unknown attacker moving in for the kill. It was another orc. Or was it? This creature looked somewhat human. A half-orc. He approached quickly, but not recklessly holding a wicked-looking dirk in one hand and a light mace in the other. His eyes glowed red, and he spoke softly, his words edged with a hiss. The fates are with you, girl. Not many have escaped my attention so easily. Elioneth had survived the surprise attack, but she had no weapon in hand and was vulnerable. Only her uncanny instinct had saved her, and she said a silent prayer to her mother for that gift. The orc attacked suddenly, launching a flurry of quick attacks with Dirk and Mace. Elioneth knew these strikes were not aimed to kill, but rather to inflict another injury and gain further advantage. Calling upon her training, she nimbly dodged the attacks and rolled away to one side, Coming up with her ikette in one hand and a throwing dagger in the other, she pumped her arm and launched the throwing dagger straight at the orc. The orc instinctively leaned to one side and almost nonchalantly batted the dagger aside with its mace. He chuckled at her, but with a tone of respect in his rasping voice. Clever girl. The two combatants rushed towards one another, Elioneth drawing a dagger in her offhand as they closed. They came together in earnest, stabbing and slashing in a fury of movement. Iket and Dagger clashed repeatedly with Dirk and Mace in a quick succession of strikes and parries as the two circled one another. They both displayed incredible balance and footwork as they sought in vain to find an opening in the other's defenses. Elioneth's side was throbbing with pain. The injury caused by the mace was distracting her, making it hard to concentrate. Adrenaline pumped through her veins as the two continued their dance, and she felt herself growing frustrated at her inability to down her opponent, a mere orc. Suddenly, the orc's dirk snuck through her defenses and landed a glancing blow on her right arm. It was a minor hit, but frustration gave way, and primal anger began to boil up within Elioneth. The beast within had awoken, and it took every ounce of her will to hold it in check. She knew this fight was taking too long. Garther would be in need of her help by now, and she knew she was fighting a seasoned warrior who could drag this conflict on indefinitely. 
Similarly, the half-orc had come to realize that this was not going to be the quick kill he had expected. He had not encountered someone who could stand toe-to-toe with him for many years, and he wasn't prepared for a fight to the death without knowing more about his foe. As though it had been carefully choreographed, both combatants twirled away from one another, gaining space as they broke off the engagement. Elioneth came out of her pirouette, launching another throwing dagger at the retreating orc. As she was trained to do, she let the momentum of her spin add velocity to the throw. Her opponent was expecting the attack and dodged to one side, while simultaneously pitching a dart underhanded at the twirling human. Elioneth had to wrench her torso to one side to avoid the incoming missile, which still caught her cloak and hung there like some kind of perverse warning. Breathing hard, her face contorted with rage, Elioneth looked across at the half-orc who faced her several paces away. You fight well, but your emotions get the better of you, he said. He turned and pulled Elioneth's throwing dagger from a piece of rotten timber where it had embedded itself and held up the dagger. A souvenir of our first meeting. I look forward to our next encounter. With a swirl of his black coat cloak, he disappeared around the corner of the ruin and was gone. Heart pumping and breathing hard, Elioneth stood completely still, her gaze locked on the spot where the orc had been. She was shocked by the encounter and frustrated with herself for losing her temper so easily. The sounds of combat close at hand snapped her out of her trance. She snatched up her fallen bow and rushed to go help her dwarf friend. Hopefully she would not be too late. Garther watched as Lagthrak slowly brought his sword back, ready to deliver, ready to deliver the coup de grace. But he still had one last trick left to play. He flung a handful of grit and sand straight into Lagthrak's ugly, leering face. The orc screamed and clutched his eyes, dropping the dwarf. Garther landed in a heap at Lagthrak's feet, his injured arm held tight against his broken ribs. With his good hand, he drew a dagger from his belt and looked up at the huge orc captain. Lagthrak was covered in heavy armor plates from head to foot, enough armor to defeat all but the most powerful attack. But from where Garther sat, he saw one of the few vulnerable spots in the orc's defenses. Garther crawled forward between Lagthrak's feet, just as the great orc began to swing his sword blindly at the dwarf. In a flash, Garther drove the blade of his dagger right to the hilt into Lagthrak's exposed inner thigh. The orc bellowed even louder and kicked blindly at the dwarf, sending Garther sprawling. Blood gushed from Lagthrak's severed femoral artery as he stomped around blindly swinging his swords in hopes of hitting the dwarf. Garther lay on his back, quietly watching as the orc spent his fury. 
after several minutes of this, Lagthrak began to tire as he spent his pent-up anger and began to weaken from loss of blood. Eventually, the orc stopped thrashing around, and his sword dropped from his hand. A short distance away, Garther stood up and said, You won't be eating any more of my kind, orc. Lagthrak turned to face the dwarf, squinting through the grit in his eyes, and fell to his knees, exhausted, life quickly ebbing from his body. I guess I won't be feasting on your flesh after all, dwarf. Lagthrak shook his head in disbelief. Killed by an old grey-bearded runt. Hardly a fitting end for the mighty Lagthrak. Still, you fought well, dwarf, and your reputation will grow with such a deed. His head drooped with exhaustion, his life draining away. But be warned, my friend, your companion is not what she seems. Beware of that one. She's a skid. Lagthrak's words were cut short as an arrow took him in the neck. He gurgled a few imperceptible words and fell to the ground dead. Garther looked over to see Elioneth, standing a few yards away, her bow still raised high from where it had delivered the lethal shot. It had been a sudden and unnecessary execution of a defeated opponent. Elioneth lowered her bow and looked at Garther as he staggered a few steps towards her like a drunkard. Blood ran freely down his dirty face from his nose and a large gash in his cheek. His nose was obviously broken as it was pushed dramatically to one side and looked as though it had been stepped on. He clutched his left arm close to his body, showing that it had been badly hurt, and he bent forward at the waist, obviously in a lot of pain. Good lord, Garther, are you okay? You you look like you've got one foot in the grave. He cleared his throat with a hacking sound and spit a long stream of blood on the ground at his feet. Garther raised his eyes to look at Elioneth, pain evident on his face. He gave a slight shrug and said, I've had worse. With that, his eyes rolled back in his head and he fell flat on his back, unconscious, dust rising from the ground around him. And that is it. Wow. That's it. Okay. I like that. I'm curious. We have a new uh, new antagonist. A plot thickens more on Elion's identity. Ah, I like the I like the action too. I like I like I, I liked how they uh, the, the duo is just did not like you know power their way through the the uh, more difficult uh, adversaries. Yeah, no, Garther was just in there being the beat stick, just being, just being abused right from the word go. Right, and I mean, like I, when you you're telling me how he was crawling through, <clears throat> he was crawling through, uh, like lag tracks legs. All I could think of is, are you going to tell me about how he's going to stab this guy in the nuts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
my gosh, yeah. <laughs> no, we didn't go quite that far with it. Okay, that's good. No, it was good. I really yeah. enjoyed that. It was a good uh, good conclusion, but it, it oh, set awesome. us up for some more stuff. And, uh, yeah, definitely, two. Uh, definitely some more threads to be unraveled in the future there. Mm-hmm. All right. So that is the end of chapter one of Oathbound. That's right. Yeah, and what do you think? When are, are we going to continue it or what? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so yeah, much more to, to, to unpack there. Yeah, uh, for sure. You know, a new uh, shadowy adversary, Elionis past, the whole shebango. May not all unravel itself in chapter two, but you know, there's plenty more to go around. Plus, <laughs> we have to wait a little bit because Garther got... His butt whooped bad. Yeah, so he he's, a, he's in he's <laughs> he's in rough shape there. Yeah, let's face yeah. it. Yeah, he he needs he definitely needs some lembus bread or something. He needs some a lot of king's foil and some uh, the <laughs> king's weed and uh, maybe a little trip over to the healing house to have Aragorn patch him up. <laughs> right on. Right on. All right. Well, I think that is the end of of uh, not only Oathbound Chapter One, but the end of this episode. I think so. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us uh, once again for another episode of North of the Shire. Cool. So, Don, are you ready to um, lay upon us the stunning and climactic conclusion to, I would say, the opening chapter of Oathbound? I'm ready, Freddy. That, by the way, was the key to start recording. Start talking. Okay, well, I said to let me know. <laughs> that was it. That was me telling you. It's trying to be dramatic, okay. man. Okay, shut up. Now I'm ready to go. Three, two, one, go. <laughs>